You are listening to The Sidebar, courtesy of the New York Association of Black Journalists, a program about the world of media as seen through the lens of black media makers. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Michael W. Ray. I'm Sandra D. Gracie. Our guest tonight happens to be, oh man, this is like an honor, right? <laughs> here and converse with Mr. Gary Hines. Um, I'm going to pause it right there. I love a little suspense. Gary, let's take it from the top. Tell us about Gary before we even further down the road into Sounds of Blackness and your time with them, which has been a very long time. Um, yes. Tell us about you. How did you, your love of music, where you're from, what brought you to bring all of this together? Okay, well, first and foremost, only by the grace of God and, and uh, you and Sanja bring me back home, uh, being in Minnesota for so many years now and hearing my name mispronounced you know, Gary, Gary, it's so nice to hear Gary. It's like, that takes you back to New York. So I say that to say, by way of answering your question, I'm a proud native of Yonkers, New York. Uh, even though the Heinz family, my family has been here in Minneapolis, you know, for decades now, uh, which kind of begs the question, why did we move from Yonkers to New York? Uh, excuse me, from Yonkers to Minneapolis. And what a lot of people don't know, my friends, is that Minneapolis was a very prolific jazz town. My mother, the late, great Doris Hines, was an internationally renowned jazz singer in her own right. She was booked here in the Twin Cities uh, in like the late 50s, early 60s for what was supposed to be two weeks and got held over for a year and fell in love with Minneapolis. Yeah, Duke Ellington, uh, Count Basie, Sarah Vaughan, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, her contemporaries that she knew and worked with, Nat King Cole, were in and out of Minneapolis all the time. So as kids, me and my siblings uh, got to meet them and all that kind of thing. So that's what brought uh, the Heinz family. Uh, so shout out to Yonkers and all my you know cousins and them back in Yonkers. Uh, that's what brought the Heinz family from Yonkers uh, to Minneapolis. I distinctly, Gary, remember where <laughs> I was the first time I heard Optimistic. This was many, many years ago, and I don't want to go too far back as I'll date myself, but if you're familiar with Southwest Philadelphia, the famous strip, 52nd Street, Teddy Pendergrass talks about that street, very yes. famous strip of street, long street where there are blocks and blocks where there used to be black vendors. There was a black owned McDonald's franchise there many years ago, but everybody knows about that street. If you know anything about Southwest Philadelphia at that time, back in the nineties, a uh, little going into two thousands. And I remember as I was matriculating as a Temple University student, mm. I first heard that song buying a pair of blue beaded dangling earrings from a street vendor and that <laughs> started blasting from a black owned store fashion store <laughs> out into the street and I remember I was riveted by this distinguished sound right by the arrangement and by the repetition of the phrase the blackness keep on now what yes. would you say is at the heart of the powerful brand of music Sounds of Blackness creates. At the heart of Sounds of Blackness uh, music, Queen Sanja, uh, is God's spirit and, and our ancestor spirit from the motherland, Africa. Uh, nothing we do uh, musically, culturally, or anything else uh, makes any sense without Mother Africa. Uh, whether it's hip hop, whether it's gospel jazz, whether it's the way we holy dance, whether it's the way we, we club dance, all of that is, is 
from the motherland. And so at the heart of what Sounds of Blackness do uh, is the music of the culture. And again, of course, as birth to the world by Mother Africa. So we, we are serious about living up to our name, uh, Sounds of Blackness. Uh, a lot of times we're uh, mislabeled as a gospel group, and that's not offensive or anything. It's just incomplete. We are very serious about our name. Every sound of blackness, jazz, blues, hip-hop, rock and roll, R&B, spirituals, reggae, ragtime, every sound of blackness. Because if you leave any of our sounds out, then you're leaving out part of our history, part of our testimony as a people. Uh, I tell uh, a lot of church folks all the time that some of whom uh, have a problem with, with secular, uh, secular and sacred music side by side, uh, I tell them that you can't fully appreciate the glory hallelujah of the gospel without the pain of the blues and the history of the spirituals, and the complexity of jazz. That's all part of what God has given us and for us to give to the world, our uniqueness, or as W.B. Du Bois said, the soul of Black folk, the gift of Black folks. So at the heart of Sounds of Blackness music, again, the spirit of God and the spirit of our ancestors from the motherland Africa. Take us to the beginning when you, uh, by all documentation, you came to Sounds of Blackness in 1971. What brought you there? What's the physical that brought you there? I can understand where the, the spiritual yes, draw might have been. So that that to me, that's self-explanatory. But yes, the physical sir. draw, what was the physical draw? What were you doing at that time in your life that, that made you go, you know, towards them? What was the draw there? Okay, I can uh, explain that pretty readily, my brother. Uh, Sounds of Blackness began at my alma mater uh, here in the Twin Cities, McAllister College. And in 1969, they, this is a primary, it's interesting because McAllister is a primarily uh, white institution of higher learning, uh, which surprises a lot of people in some ways, but uh, they embarked on a very ambitious program called EEO. In fact, the school is celebrating the 50th anniversary of EEO, Expanded Educational Opportunities, uh, this year. Um, and what Expanded Educational Opportunities was about was bringing uh, students of color, primarily African-American, uh, to this uh again, almost ex exclusively white campus. And, and they were very successful with that endeavor. One of the offshoots of that program over the Mike and Sister Sanja is that uh, the students themselves organized a number of different activities. One was uh, a political group called BLAC, the Black Liberation Affairs Committee, which I'm so happy to say still exists to this day. Uh, there was another group called Black Arts Midwest. It was a theater and, and spoken word group. And there was this 50 voice choir called the McAllister College Black Voices under the direction of my friend and brother, our emeritus founder, Brother Russell Knight, a native of Beaumont, Texas. And uh, he brought me on, uh, long story short, as my nephew says, uh, in January of 71, he was getting ready to graduate, and he asked me on as director. And I was very honored, uh, you know, because even back then, they were very excellent. And, and I'll, I'll end up the answer by saying uh, the reason that you might wonder why did we change the name from McAllister College uh, Black Voices to Sounds of Blackness? Well, the answer is, uh, the vision that God gave me uh, when Russell had me uh, take the, the directorship of the group, the vision God gave me all was to follow in the footsteps of Duke Ellington. Now, that surprises a lot of people when I say that, because I know you all know, but I know a lot of people don't know. Uh, you know, we hear Duke's name and we think of jazz as we should, but too many people don't know that Duke wrote, recorded, and performed African music, spirituals, blues, every sound of Blackness. So, we can't take credit for that template doing the music of the culture. Uh, and so Duke Ellington was our, our, our uh, inspiration, our mentor for that uh, musically and culturally. 
Um, Gary, let me ask you this. Historically, many Black people link great Black music regions with places like Detroit or Philadelphia, New York, and even Nashville, Tennessee as a gospel music mecca. But can you talk about how Minneapolis has also served as a breeding ground for great Black music and subsequently sounds of Blackness? Oh, excellent questions, by the way, you all. And, and certainly this one in particular. So uh, I mentioned uh, a moment ago that what brought uh, the Heinz family to Minneapolis from Yonkers uh, was a very thriving jazz scene here. And when we moved here uh, in Minneapolis from Yonkers, it was like moving to another planet. I mean, you know, there were very, very few black folks, for starters. Uh, at, but <laughs> what we did find is that while the, the black population here was, was very small at the time, and it's still not large, but it was really small back then, uh, you know, like in the mid-60s, um, it was very vibrant. Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to illuminate that by saying this, you all. Um, everybody needs to know that, that Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and Prince, uh, my brother, 40 years, uh, we, we could talk about him all night, um, they did not just appear. They are uh, offshoots of that vibrant black music scene. Both of Prince's parents were musicians. Jam and Lewis, uh, their parents, and in fact, they interacted with my mom. So we, our families have known each other way before Prince became Prince and way before Jam and Lewis became Jam and Lewis to the world. Um, but that vibrant music here uh, scene, we checked that out when we moved uh, here from Yonkers. And I, I got to tell you all, it would, yeah, on the gospel side, on the jazz side, as obviously, as I mentioned with my mom, on the blues side, uh, and believe it or not, on the R&B side, there were groups here, you all, that would have rivaled any Motown group. Uh, names I'm sure you probably never heard of, like Midwest Express, uh, Showtime Part 1 and 2, Philadelphia Story, uh, in Minneapolis with a name called Philadelphia Story. How about that? Right. Um, but they were amazing, and, and that, that amazed us. So there was a very, very, very vibrant and active uh, Black music scene here. And again, that's what brought the Heinz family uh, to Minneapolis from Yonkers. That's what Prince emanated from. He didn't just appear. That's what Jam and, and Lewis emanated from. They didn't just appear. And believe me, they would be the first to tell you that. When speaking of the sounds of Blackness, the group has received three Grammy Awards, four stellar awards, one Emmy nomination, the International Time for Peace Award, the International Dance Music Award, the NAACP Image Award nominations, and one NAACP Image Award. When we mention those, and there's several more, but I mean, that's a whole nother podcast in and of itself where we could just <laughs> all the the musicians that have come and gone, the singers that have come and gone, their relative success as Sounds of Blackness being the foundation, the springboard for many of them. If you know anything about choirs and you know for many people, it was it's multiple things. It's a respite from society. It's direction. It's focus. It's peace. It's interactions with other people who think the same as you. It's learning from people who don't necessarily think the same you do. So I believe all of those things of that diaspora go into making an organization, a group, a band, a choir, I don't, a corner store, I don't care what you are. Those are the intricate pieces of framework that make a organization successful. Yeah. So the question is, when, you, when I speak of the awards and you think back, because you've been there since there were no awards to be had, and you look back on 40, 50 years, go, well, 50, if you joined in 71 and I was born in 72, then we're at 50. <laughs> 50, yeah. 50 years worth of work has culminations with those awards. How does that make you feel? 
Uh, first and foremost, uh, thankful, grateful, uh, filled with gratitude, and 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 it humbles you, uh, Brother Michael and Sandra. And sometimes it's kind of surreal. Uh, you know, uh, the old spiritual says, my soul looks back and wonders. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, uh, again, only by the grace of God and by the dedication of uh, generations, and I'll explain that term and just in, why I use that term in just a minute, of singers and, and musicians in the sounds of blackness. A lot of times our band doesn't get the love that it should, but I, I'm, I'm careful to give them that love in, in these types of interviews. But uh, our, our current group of singers, a number of them are actually... Uh, the offspring of original members. So uh, our featured vocalist now, Jamesia Bennett, is the daughter of the great Anne Nesby. We have in our soprano section, Nika Constantino. She's the daughter of the great Cynthia Johnson. Now, you may not know Cynthia's name, but if I say Funky Town, you know, and so a number of our members are actually uh, current singers, are actually uh, offspring of original. So this is really Sounds of Blackness second generation. Um, and, uh, you know, they are keeping the tradition alive. And, and, and uh, you know, we're so thankful to them for that, uh, the singers and our band. Gary, when you talk about music, I mean, you could just go on and on talking about the history of music, history of music and Black culture. We know that Black music is captivating and that Sounds of Blackness produces captivating music. But how would you say that Black music has captivated you? Like, how has Black music shaped you intrinsically? Um, from every fiber of my soul and being, uh, Queen Sanja, uh, my, my sisters, uh, uh, remind me, and I'm, I'm the baby of the family kind of thing, which they never let me forget, by the way. <laughs> but I say that to say this, they remember that when I was in my crib, this is the time before there were glass baby bottles. They, uh, before there were plastic ones, excuse me, they were all glass. They said, I always used to hold my, my glass bottle over my crib and, and make it and break it you know, drop it to the floor, and then they would see me listening. And now they know, they think that I was listening for tones. I'm originally a drummer, oh. so they, they swear that I was making music. So I say that, you know, music is is at the very core and fiber uh, of, of who I am or who I try to be. And I think it is at, at uh, the core of all of us. Music is vibration, and vibration of light is life. Inactivity is death, and, and activity is life. Uh, you know, uh, astronomer, astronomers have... Uh, detected uh, coming emanating from stars, uh, you know, two, three galaxies away, specific notes. They, they, they've uh, located a, a star emanating a low A natural 12 octaves below the low A on the bottom of piano. So mm. that tells me that, yeah, I mean, how deep is that, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, at, the, at the core uh, of it all is, is music, as, as Stevie Wonder says, our dear friend, uh, that the music is the universal language. And, and I think uh, to close up the answer, uh, Sanjay, to me, it illustrates uh, and, and for me more than uh, human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Mm -hmm. And at the heart of that spirit is music. And obviously that applies to me. Memphis, Philadelphia and Detroit, when it comes to black music, are the three points of the black music pyramid. So whether it's Motown, whether it's their Southern rival Stacks, whether it's the sounds of Philadelphia and everybody else kind of just fits in. However, when it comes to Minneapolis, being that I am a humongous, now I will say this, I, <laughs> I enjoyed Prince music, thoroughly enjoyed. I, I can enjoy the genius. The nerd yeah. in me can appreciate the genius. Right? Yes, However, I am a humongous jam and lewis fan 
Yes. So from that, I've had the chance to sit through multiple Jam and Lewis episodes on multiple different podcasts. And no, I'm not giving anyone any free advertisement at this moment. <laughs> but one thing, there are two things that I found to be real uh, uh, that really stuck with me from a Jimmy Jam uh, interview. One of them was that the way in which he speaks of while the percentages of black people were single digit numbers for that region, mm -hmm. the closeness yes. of all the musicians, how everyone is great because they were pushed by everyone else. Your opinion of that statement, is that accurate? Do you agree? Would you agree with that statement that y'all all pushed each other to be great? Yes, sir. And the way we would say it in the barbershop, absolutely, positively, no doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs> like a 100% a yes, yes, and yes. Uh, always pushing each other. I was blessed to be um, a staff producer for Jam and Lewis at Flight Time before they uh, relocated about 15 years or so ago uh, out to uh, Santa Monica, uh, where they're based now. But um, I say that to say, we basically lived at flight time. When I say we, I mean some of the other staff producers. Names, I think, you know, like Jellybean and like Stokely, uh, who was still with Mint Condition at the time. And we we would write, we would produce, uh, we would screen demos, uh, we, we would record, we would rehearse, all those things. And it was all uh, supportive and encouraging, but also inspire. we would inspire and push each other. Uh, and, and, and Jam and Lewis, you know, I mean... They, uh, in the Prince tradition, and, and they would be the first to say that, an impeccable work ethic. I mean, don't even come in there, if, you know, if, if, if you don't want to put in the sweat equity, really. You, <laughs> you last. I mean, it was, our, we averaged a minimum of like 12-hour days, like all the time. Um, and, and, and we loved it. It wasn't like a requirement to sign in, sign out, and sometimes spend the night there. So the work ethic and, and pushing each other, inspiring each other, and, and that happened within flight time. That happened uh, at Paisley as well. That happened between flight time and Paisley. Yes, absolutely. That, that, that statement is 1,000% true and accurate. Gary, I had heard in an interview, and you got to tell me, because I, I heard it in an interview, and in some parts a little bit fuzzy, but I think I got it right. You said that uh, when you would go into their office, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, they used to call you Doc. And I can, you seem to herald their experience in music, but if they're calling you Doc, they see it's affectionate and they see a turn, uh, a level of expertise in you that they have to admire as well. Um, I believe I heard you say on that collaboration that Optimistic was on with them. That song was added last. Am I yeah. right? Oh, okay. You are absolutely right. And to this day, they still call me Doc, you know, <laughs> God, um, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, that, that that means the world to me. And and I'll tell you the optimistic story quickly, since you you uh, alluded to it. They called me into the office, uh, you know, one night and, and we were basically finished with that first recording, uh, Evolution of Gospel. Um, and they said, Doc, you know, we know we've got a great record here, but we feel like we need one more, uh, one more song that will be a classic that will stand the test of time and that will be universal, uh, you know, from the Black experience, but that everybody can relate to. And the word optimistic keeps ruminating, ruminating, ruminating. And so, you know, we were in that room the rest of the night, you know, and, and uh, called in the group the next night. I mean, that's what it was like. And uh, 
recorded Optimistic. And so you're correct, uh, uh, Queen Sanja. Uh, Optimistic was the last song recorded on Evolution or for Evolution of Gospel. Um, and it was a magical, magical, mystical, magical experience. It, ethereal. I mean, I, I could run out of uh, the words for that kind of thing. Um, but we knew that it was something extra special. Uh, we mm -hmm. felt that way about a number of the tracks on, on the song that we had already recorded, but this Optimistic was at a whole nother level. And so, yes, it was the last song. And uh, here it is, uh, what, 32 years later, since this is the 32nd anniversary, uh, Optimistic was released, or 31st, I think. Spring of 91, you know, is still here to this day. Sounds of Blackness are so honored uh, to this day to have been the first artist signed uh, on Jam and Lewis's record, Perspective Records. And, and the funny thing about it, like now it can be told, but I know from, you know, from private conversations with Jam and Lewis, you know, uh, when they signed Sounds of Blackness, you know, this 40 voice and, um, and instrumental ensemble, you know, the, the reaction was, well, you have to remember the time, and in fairness, you know, to, to the higher ups, Jam and Lewis were working with, 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 uh, and they, they still do now with Janet, but with Janet and Michael and with uh, George mm -hmm. Michael, all these huge, huge no names. Band. There's no SOS band without Jam and Lewis. Right, right, absolutely, you know? And, and so uh, my point being, I'm sure that the higher-ups at Polygram and A&M were expecting Jam and Lewis to lure some of those artists to prospective records. And so, but we remember signed, it was like, the sounds of who and what and, what, how many types of music are they singing? How are we going to market this and all that? But then when Optimistic broke open, everybody stuck their chest out, you know, and, and I'm, not, I'm not really mad at that. But, uh, but uh, you know, we always give Jam and Lewis those props because they never backed away from uh, anything like us changing our name or, 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 uh, or any other type of compromise. And, and they said, nope, this is our first artist. And no, this is uh, what they're going to do. And this is their first single. And Optimistic, by the grace of God, uh, and the support of people like you all in, in, the, uh, in the industry, went number one. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. It, it, yeah. it, it, it's when I sit back and I look at certain things, um, knowing music, knowing, knowing how radio and media tends to work, knowing everything from music mm -hmm. videos to, to, the, to, the, to the way that we've, we've cut up and divided music to give you different you know, urban contemporary, adult contemporary, uh, pop, uh, 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 easy listening. And to know mm -hmm. that somehow we managed to get an optimistic remix <laughs> that crossed every genre per se yes, sir. to where you could be in a urban contemporary setting and yep. a version of optimistic at the nightclub <laughs> be at a a adult contemporary party of some of our other ethnic uh, brothers and sisters. And yeah. they, they'd be playing, they'd have a version, a pop version of optimistic. Yeah. When you sit and look at stuff like that, how does that make you feel? Uh, once again, uh, very humbled and, and, and elated and gratified. Uh, some of the great uh, historical remix artists, uh, Frankie Knuckles, Dave Morales, uh, I, know, I see your head shaking. I know you know those names. We, and, and here's a, a, a couple of things about that. We, <laughs> they were coming out so fast, and, and your, your question is so accurate, my brother, and it takes me back. They were coming out so fast with so many remixes. Uh, we were getting like, the, when I say we, I mean the sounds, we were getting remixes like weekly that we had to learn versions of, kind of thing, <laughs> perform it, you know, on Soul Train or perform this one, you know, uh, at, at a club in New York or whatever kind of thing. 
Um, and, and that was part of the joy of it, of all those remixes. Um, but the, the energy behind it all, mm -hmm. uh, the, the spirit behind it all uh, was you know, just, just um, unparalleled. And, uh, you know, we're, we're eternally grateful. Yeah, I I was hearing it everywhere. So I was hearing it years after it came out because then the networks, BET was using it. And, you know, it was leading into some of their discussions and their um, symposiums. I'm like, everybody was using it. That was in black circles where you had discussions going on and you really wanted to pump it up and have a good lead-in song that was so appropriate. But now we're 30, 31 years later and you have these new songs coming out, still yeah. on the th same theme of blackness, strength, perseverance, not giving up. You still speaking to uh, the system. You're still speaking to Black folk spirit. Tell us a little bit about these new songs you got coming out. Woke and Juneteenth. Now that it's uh, Black Music Month. Tell us about those songs. Yes, absolutely. And and, and preceding uh, Juneteenth and Woke, our current single is called You're Gonna Win. And if you listen to it, uh, any of our listeners, your listeners, uh, you'll hear it sonically uh, very reminiscent it's an homage to optimistic. It's a really a current day optimistic. You're going to win and you can see we've got an Afrobeat remix. You can see both videos on YouTube. Before that uh, was Hold Up Your Light, um, a great song. And both, uh, I should say, You're Going to Win was written by uh, Anne's daughter, Jamisia Bennett, who I mentioned a moment ago. She also did the video. And Hold Up Your Light uh, was written by another East Coast in the house, uh, Carrie Harrington is the first voice you hear on Optimistic, When in the Midst of Sorrow. She's also our choreographer and a great writer. And she wrote, she's a native of uh, Princeton, by the way, New Jersey. And uh, she wrote Hold Up Your Light. Fast forward now to Juneteenth celebration. Um, Juneteenth, uh, of course, President Biden signed uh, you know, the federal holiday into law uh, almost a year ago uh, to the day. Um, but of course, Juneteenth, the uh, commemoration goes back, as we know, to the 1860s. Uh, and it, it's funny how many people think Juneteenth is, is a new entity. It's like, no, no. Uh, and it's like, sounds of blackness, uh, God just let us. It's like, we can't have something that's over 100 years old and that it's finally an official holiday and not have an anthem for it. So mm -hmm. God gave us Juneteenth celebration. Uh, and then the year before that, uh, when um, Congressional Black Caucus uh, submitted H.R. 40 for reparations. We came out with time for reparations. So, you know, that that's much of our job as Sounds of Blackness to to be the pulse of the people. We we live and work in our hood. You know, when George Floyd was murdered, we were there every night at the protests mm. uh, and all that kind of thing. And, and that's when we came up with the words of Fannie Lou Hamer, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Or we did that mm -hmm. song. And now uh, that there's so much anti-wokeness and it's, ama it's amazing that people think woke is a new concept. When woke goes back to the 1800s, has been in our lexicon forever. Even uh, Lead Belly, the great blues musician, did uh, in the 20s did a song called "Woke." Gotta be woke. People conscious of our situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Marcus Garvey implored us to be and to stay woke. And it's like now we've got all the anti-woke, and people don't even know what woke is or think that it's something <laughs> new and don't understand it. So it's like you know what sounds. We got to make this an anthem you know, once again. And so we borrowed uh, uh, a page out of the, the my favorite artist, James Brown, the Godfather, uh, <laughs> who told us, uh, wrote what I think is the most important, prolific, most impactful song in the history of our people, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. And so in this song, we say, Say It Loud, I'm Woke and I'm Proud. We know that 
in Memphis, you have a famous theater. Uh, we know that in New York, everything centers around the Apollo when you start to think of the history of Black culture. Yes. But there is a star in front of what was First Avenue. Yes. What? Knowing that that's not, First <laughs> Avenue was not Minneapolis's Apollo. Let me, let me just make sure that, right, right. that I make that, I make that clear. Right? <laughs> a lot closer to maybe the Grand Ole Opry than it is right. Apollo. Yes, sir. But, but to but to have a representation in front of an institution like that, and I've I've heard like Jam tell stories how they were really the first ones to try kind of turn the corner and open their doors to where you know if, if you could work the small club, then you could get to the big venue and and things of that. Right. So in my eyes, in a lot of ways, that is a more significant accomplishment. In certain ways, depending on how you look at it, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm already there, brother. Gentlemen, I'm from New York City. <laughs> my dad talk all the time about when his mother would take him and his brother and sister to go to Apollo to see, and you'd see five acts for $2 at the Apollo. Yep. I'm well-versed in all of those stories. But <laughs> I, I feel like a story that's not shared enough that is a lot more indicative of the resolve of Black people of, of the importance and the significance of Black music, quite possibly even one of the greatest turning stones of perspective towards Black people is the fact that Sounds of Blackness has a star in front of First Avenue. What does, I know what it means to me when I read it and I think <laughs> about it, but that's me. I'm, 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 excuse me, I'm just a nerd when it comes to the thinking. But I love it, brother. to you, brother, <laughs> what does it mean to you to know that when you walk past that area, that something you have a significant part in is, is documented right here at this location? Uh, brother, it's, it's a validation. It's a vindication uh, of what Sounds of Blackness has always been about, uh, is now, and will always be about. And uh, we, we say as our primary goal, Sounds of Blackness, is to glorify God by uplifting people through African-American music. And uh, this, uh, that particular accolade, if you would, uh, is, is really um, a testament to that. And, uh, and First Avenue is, is still open, by the way, and, and, and uh, functioning, by the way. Just is it? Okay. Yes, sir. And, and so the fact that it is, and, and, and I live like right on the fringe of downtown Minneapolis. So as we interview here, uh, First Avenue is literally like five, six, seven minutes away from me. And if that, so point being, I go past it uh, fairly frequently, uh, right? And you know, uh, in the uh, the North Loop of downtown Minneapolis, and and to see it, it it's sometimes kind of surrealistic, but again, it, it's an affirmation and, and a vindication uh, of what we're about and sticking to our guns. Uh, because I'll say this, and and in in concluding the question, sounds of blackness even before Jam and Lewis and and Prince, even back in our McAllister days. We were approached uh, actually by a major label uh, that that showed interest in us, and and but they came with some unacceptable conditions. Uh, one of them was, well, we don't know how to market you, so we need you to to just do R and B or just do gospel, just do one. It's like, no, we do that. We're not Sounds of Blackness, mm -hmm. uh, and that was the other uh, uh, condition. 
would you consider changing your name like to the sounds of music or whatever? It's like that. Well, that's never going to happen. <laughs> so, uh, and, and so seeing that star is, is when I say vindication uh, uh, and validation of, of us sticking to our guns by the grace of God, uh, that is represented above that, my brother. My next to last question, Gary, is so edifying black people through um, music. Uh, yes. While heralding our history, our suffering, and our triumphs, that seems to that sound of blackness is core. That's your mantra. But can you please explain to me why other people, other than black folk, have loved your music as well? Well, you know what we say this, uh, my sister. What comes from the heart reaches the heart, and nothing does that more so uh, than black music. Uh, as I said earlier, you know, Stevie Wonder correctly says that music is the universal language, and he's so correct about that, and I, I believe that. African-American and African-based music has a, a special anointing, a special spirit, a special aura about it that, that digs even deeper, uh, just through all the travails of our, of our legacy, our history, our culture, uh, that speaks to the essence of the human soul beyond skin color. And, and we've seen that uh, all we've been blessed to travel most of the world. Uh, and we see that, you know, we go to Japan and, and, and many people in the audience uh, who are not English speaking are singing along on the verses, not even just the choruses, you know. Uh, and, and so it's like, my God, um, what 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 a blessing, what an honor uh, to realize the international scope uh, of African-American music. And, and but that's because, again, from the motherland makes no sense without without uh, giving that an acknowledgement. Our music is the only music that you will find on every continent. It's probably on Antarctica too, but uh, <laughs> your, uh, you know. And, and wherever you go, you see it. And, and Don Cornelius, arrest his soul. He and I used to talk about this all the time. All over the world, people trying to walk, talk, dance, sing, play like us. Okay, mm -hmm. and as, mm -hmm. as Du Bois said, the gift of black folk, the soul of black folk. So to be part of that heritage and legacy is, is again, very humbling and a great honor. Would you say that Black Music Month is necessary for them too, for people other than black people? Yes, the same way that Black History Month is, and, and, and because still we're playing catch up, still we're not afforded uh, the recognition um, that, that we are due. Uh, both either for, for in our history or in our culture, uh, you know, and here, and this is, you know, one of my pet peeves, um, Black Music Month uh, was established uh, in 1979. And all here in Minneapolis, you know, so we got, we still got work to do. I've seen on every channel, uh, and, and shout out, because I don't want this to be misread, uh, shout out to, to our gay and LGBTQ uh, brothers and sisters, but every station opened up with, Happy Gay Pride Month. It's like, excuse me, it could, shouldn't you at least be saying Happy Black Music Month and Gay Pride Month? Especially because we were there first, but we are always overshadowed, uh, compromised, appropriated, erased. Uh, and, and that's, that's uh, something that I've been addressing uh, in the media here in Minneapolis kind of thing. It's like, and if you look online, you'll see from Gary Hines and Sounds of Blackness, June is Black Music Month. Absolutely. I'll never forget, uh, uh, and, and, and good friend and blessed to have, have met and, and worked with him. Uh, I'll never forget about, oh, 10, 12 years ago when uh, Brother Carlos Santana uh, won literally like an armful of Grammys. He won like five Grammys that night. I mean, he literally had an armful. Uh, and, and 
every time I remember this, and I've, I've said this in seminars, I've said that uh, countless times, I remember clear as a bell. Every time, uh, uh, Brother Michael, Sister Sandra, that he got up to do his, accept his, his acceptance speech, excuse me, he opened up with these words, I want to thank Mother Africa. Mm. And he went on to his speech, uh, and, and this was so-called Latin music, which in the main is African music or African-based music. And I remember, I'll never forget, my, my, that night my phone was ringing, people, what's this Latino man keep talking about Africa for? <laughs> because he, he's woke. That's why. Mm. But every, mm -hmm. I'm telling you, he won four or five Grammys that night. And every time, the, before he thanked his manager, his wife, whatever, he said, I want to thank Mother Africa for wow. this new and I'll never forget that. I mean, you you have to, you know, since we're talking about music, I mean, if we're going to put it in this context, I mean, if you take the great blues musicians, right? You take mm -hmm. a B.B. King. You take a Muddy Waters. You take a mm -hmm. Howlin' Wolf. Yes, sir. You take a Robert Cray. You, yeah. You, you, you take any of them, right? What do they all have in common is that there's a period of time where you're Steve Winwoods. Mm. Eric Clapton's, mm -hmm. um, your 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 Ringo stars, your British yeah. musicians were coming to the states to basically, with no shame, lay at the feet of these greats. Right? You can't find a Clapton interview where, if you talk to him longer than seven minutes, he's not mentioning the great bluesmen. Yes, which he learned how to put these two chords together. Never mind the fact that, okay, we'll call it ace, ace and a spade a spade. Many of these gentlemen grew up half their lives not being able to read more than third grade. Right. So so therefore, you asking, you know, one of them, uh, uh, maybe Bobby Blue Bland and, and, and Muddy could read a little bit more better than, let's say, John Lee Hooker. Right? right. But at the same time, they're still coming to sit at the feet of these men to try and comprehend how in the world can you put that over that which is that for those gentlemen, but for your trained musician, that may be an A flat and that may be over a, right. a C sharp minor seven, right? Mm. How, they don't go together, but y'all are making <laughs> go together. Like, how did you do that? They don't, two magnets are not supposed to connect. They're supposed to That's put right. away, right? So that is the never ending influence of black music on society. Yes, sir. I just wanted to ask you, Gary, um, and this is going to be my last one. You and Sounds of Blackness, you've been here for 50 years. Yeah. Are there additional visions the group is embarking on for the next 50? Yes, there are, uh, Queen Sanja. And, and the I told you that Duke Ellington is our musical mentor, but our cultural and historical mentor is the father of the great Stokely, uh, Professor Mahmoud El-Khati, who is a world-renowned African and African-American professor uh, professor of African-American uh, history, uh, Mahmoud El-Khati. And he was on campus uh, teaching uh, when sound started, uh, like I say, back in, in 71. And I say that to say this. One of the things he implored for us to do uh, was to be more than a band. He said, uh, Gary, and he's a native New Yorker too, so he said my name correctly, which I appreciate. <laughs> he said, you know, uh, Gary, uh, I want you to make Sounds of Blackness not just a band, but a cultural institution mm. that on and on, that goes beyond the generations, that always is a speaking voice, uh, cultural speaking voice for Black America with our roots in Africa. So that that's where all that came from. That And that's why Stokely is like he is too, in case you didn't know. Um, mm. So to be able to, to live that out 
and, and to be a cultural institution. Uh, we're so honored. You And, and uh, Brother uh, Michael has mentioned uh, Nashville several times, and I know you both know that the uh, National African American Music Museum uh, is in is Nashville. And Sounds of Blackness are blessed to have uh, a permanent exhibit there, and and that's oh. an honor by itself. But then, when people who have gone there and we haven't we haven't visited in person yet, said that our exhibit is right across from Duke Ellington and Louis Armstrong. It's like, wow. we are not worthy. Oh, we are now worthy. We just get that out there. But uh, yeah, so so just just uh, we're thankful, y'all. Love it. I'll uh, I'll uh, uh, close out on this question right here, Gary. Gary, Hunt, yeah, <laughs> if you could pick up the telephone and place a phone call to a younger Gary Hines who had just joined Sounds of Blackness. Uh huh. Say this is seventy-five. Let's say you play. Okay. So you place a call to you in 75, 75. What, what would you say to him? I would say to him to start and always remain being a student of African and African-American history uh, because we have to know where we have been to know where we are and we have to know where we are to know where we're going. Uh, mm -hmm. And that culturally, politically, spiritually, uh, and certainly musically. Uh, and and I, have, I have done that to a degree, but I would tell that, that uh, 75, uh, 1975 Gary Hahn to do it even more so. Love it. Absolutely. Thank you. Oh, you're more than welcome. This, this has been a delight, y'all. We wish to express our most sincerest thanks to our distinguished guests. If you have enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe and give The Sidebar a great review. As a reminder, the views and opinions expressed in every episode of The Sidebar belong to the individuals who made them and not to the NYABJ. For more information on the NYABJ, please visit www.nyabj.org. Music by Halizna Raps.